Welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we hope will inspire, encourage, and challenge you to grow closer to God. So sit back, prepare your heart, and see where God can take you. I don't know if you heard, but Boudreaux was recently on an airplane that was hijacked. Did you hear about this? Yeah, the hijackers took over the plane uh, and uh, they threatened everybody on the, the plane and they said, hey, if you don't cooperate, you're gonna get hurt. And, uh, and then one of the hijackers pointed out a woman there uh, as one of the passengers and he said, uh, you, lady, what's your name? She said, uh, my name is Susan. He said, okay, we're not gonna hurt you. My mom's name was Susan, so you're gonna be okay. And then he pointed out Boudreaux. He said, sir, how about you? What's your name? Boudreaux's fast on his feet, man. He thought about it a minute. He goes, well, my name is Boudreaux, but all my friends call me Susan. So today I want to talk to you about a hijacking. We're in this series called Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And what we, uh, what we learned in, in week one is the rainbow is that, is that symbol or that sign of the covenant promise that God made with mankind. If you remember the story of Noah and the ark, uh, you know that God poured out his judgment on the earth and the entire earth was flooded. And the only ones who survived were Noah and his family and the animals that he had brought on that ark that God had him design and build. After the floodwaters receded, God made a covenant promise with mankind that we should all be thankful for today. And that promise was never to judge the earth in that way again, that he would never bring judgment in that form of a worldwide flood again. And he said, I'm going to put this rainbow in the sky to remind you of that covenant promise. So what we did in week one of this series is we reminded all of us that ours is a promise-keeping God. He doesn't just make promises. He keeps promises. And anytime you see the rainbow in the sky, it should be a reminder of the fact that our God is a promise-keeping God. Then last week, we pointed out all the colors of the rainbow and how that covenant symbol or sign that God put in the sky should also remind us of the unity that God has called us into, that all of us are diverse, that we come from different backgrounds. And if you take humanity from around the world and you line us all up, we put our arms together, it's really a rainbow of flesh color. And yet in that we see the creative nature of God that should be celebrated. Those are not things that should divide us. There are things that we should embrace. There are things that we should celebrate. And the rainbow is a reminder of this covenant, promise-keeping God and the creativity he showed in creation and how he's called us all into unity. Today, I, I want to point to that same rainbow. And today, I want to take a little bit of a different approach with it. And I want to point out that the rainbow has actually been hijacked. I don't know if you've noticed but the rainbow has been hijacked and is being used as a symbol for a perverse form of sexual expression. I want to say that one more time. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm saying. The rainbow has been hijacked and is being used as a symbol for a perverse form of sexual expression. Now, just in case when I said that, the first thing that came to mind for you was the LBGTQ community. I want to just stop to say you don't have enough letters there. We're going to add some letters to that equation today. If what comes to mind 
For you, when I say that the rainbow's been hijacked and is being used as a symbol for a perverse form of sexuality, if what comes to mind is the LGBTQ community, then let's, let, let's add some letters. And what we wanna do is we wanna add the letter A because adultery is a perverse form of sexual expression. We wanna add the letter P because promiscuousness is a perverse form of sexual expression. Let's add the letter F for fornication is a perverse form of sexual expression. The letter P again could stand for pornography. So there's letters that you can add to the equation, not just the LGBTQ, but any form of sexual expression outside of the confines of holy matrimony, God deems perverse. He, he calls it sin. So you just need to know that any sexual expression outside of holy matrimony is a sin against God. I didn't say that God said that. And today we need to realize that. And when we see that rainbow in the sky, we should be reminded that, hey, it's been hijacked by folks that want to express themselves sexually in a way God is not ordained, that God is not pleased with, and that God says he will judge. It's so important, so important that we all recognize that and realize that. So sex is a gift from God, but it's a gift from God to people who have made a covenant with one another before him, the Bible defines it very clearly as one man, one woman, together in a covenant relationship before God for a lifetime. That's what God has blessed with the gift of sexuality. Anything outside of that union that the Bible's very clear on, God says is a sin. Now, in week one, we talked about him being a promise keeper, a promise maker, a promise keeper. And what I want to do next is I want to read you one of the promises of God. And as I read this, just be assured, this is God's promise. Now, we love God's promises. We love to sing them. We love to wear them on our T-shirts. Listen, we love the promises of God. So hear this promise. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Hebrews 13 verse 4 declares that marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Here's your promise. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Nobody's singing that today, but it's a promise nonetheless. Nobody's making t-shirts out of that one. Nobody's got that as their bumper sticker, but the promise of God is to judge all who are acting inappropriately on our sexual nature. Now, we are created with a sex drive, but acting on that human impulse outside of the covenant of marriage, God says is sin, and God said we'll stand before him in judgment for that sin. Are, 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 you, are you hearing what I'm telling you today? Adultery, fornication, so that's that's. Any sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, pornography, all of these are, are forms of sexual expression outside of the marriage covenant between one man and one woman, and God said it's sinful, and God said it will be judged. We will stand before him in judgment. Now, you know why I ask you not to say amen, because you weren't going to say amen anyway, <laughs> you know. But I gotta tell you, man, for a Pentecostal pastor, it's hard to stand up here and not hear the, those responses, you know? But I wanted us all to be uncomfortable together. You know, I figured if anybody is gonna be uncomfortable today, let's, let's just let it start with me. Somewhere over the rainbow, that's what we're looking at. How do we get beyond the rainbow? 
What we see is that somewhere over the rainbow, we discover that sexual sin offers a promise it cannot deliver. Can I say that one more time? When you get over the rainbow, what you realize is that sexual sin makes a promise that it cannot deliver on. Sexual sin promises all of us that that's where we're going to find fulfillment. And I'm not here today denying that there aren't moments of pleasure in sexual expression. Certainly there are. But once you get past that very temporary moment of pleasure, you find that it doesn't fulfill. It doesn't fulfill the void that is in all of us. That void that we're trying to fill in perverse ways. In ways that God isn't pleased with. And he's not pleased with it because he knows none of those things can truly fulfill you. Only he can. And that's why he wants us looking to him, not to things like sex, to find that fulfillment. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, where God speaks through the apostle and he says, the body is not to be used for sexual immorality. And, and again, just so we're all on the same page, what is sexual immorality? Any sexual expression outside of the union of holy matrimony. God says the body is not to be used that way, but the body is to serve the Lord and the Lord provides for the body. Now there's an example of what I'm sharing with you. The fact that sex makes a promise it can't make good on. There's an example of that found in the Old Testament story of uh, Ammon and Tamar. These were children of David. They were half brother and sister. And Ammon was in love with Tamar and he wanted to be with her. He wanted to be with her. He wanted to have sex with her. And so he arranged for her to be in his bedchamber with him alone. And he began to, to make his moves and he began to try to convince her to come to bed with him. And she said, no, I, I, I won't do that. And he began to try to force her to do it, and she appealed to him. And she said, listen, just talk to our father. If you ask our father for uh, my hand in marriage, I, I think he will, will give it. But Amon would not uh, listen to that rationale. And because he was stronger than she was, he forced himself on her. He raped her. We take up reading in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14 and 15. But Amon wouldn't listen to her, and since he was stronger... Then she was, he raped her. Now look at verse 15. Then suddenly, Amon's love turned to hate, and he hated her even more than he had loved her. What is that? What is that? It's an example of sex making a promise it can't make good on. It will always leave you empty. Again, I'm not denying that there might be some moments of pleasure but at the end of the day, it's not going to be fulfilling to you. It's always going to leave you empty. And ultimately, Satan convinces you to go deeper and deeper into gross forms of immorality to try to find that fulfillment that you're never going to find in anything other than Jesus. Only God can truly satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. And so, again, we see people moving into uh, more and more dysfunctional ways of expressing themselves sexually, hoping that it's going to fulfill them. Uh, a, a good example of this is porn. If, if you have used porn yourself or if you know someone who's used porn, you know what the science is so clear on, that when you start using porn, what you're looking at will satisfy you for the moment, but then again, you're so let down that it doesn't bring that fulfillment that you've got to go to harder forms of porn to get the same sense of pleasure that you had earlier. And what we're seeing today 
is just unthinkable things being portrayed on websites that people are looking at and movies that people are watching, things that people are engaging with. I mean, bizarre things like sex with animals and sex with children in in hopes that it's gonna bring this fulfillment to this void within their life, but it won't, it can't. Sex makes a promise it cannot make good on. We see those escalating demands that sex makes carried out in people's lives until they're given over to the most bizarre forms and dangerous forms of perverted pleasures. What are we seeing here? We're seeing that somewhere over the rainbow you discover sex sin offers a promise it cannot deliver. Then we see that as we get beyond the rainbow, as we get somewhere over that rainbow, we discover that Sexual sin is actually a form of idolatry. And that's really what I wanted to get at the heart of today, what I want to help you see. Because you yourself may be struggling in one of these areas. You may have been someone who's acted on these base human sexual impulses in a way you know that is displeasing to God. But maybe what you've never thought about is what a form of idolatry it really is. And the reason why God is so set against it is because ultimately you're worshiping a created thing rather than the creator who's to forever be worshiped. That's what sex sin leads us into. It leads us into these forms of idolatry. Romans chapter one. Let's look at this passage together real quickly. Romans chapter one, I'll start reading in verse 25. And Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, is describing people in Noah's day that came under judgment because of all the perverse forms of not just sexual idolatry, but all the different forms of idolatry that they were engaged in. And God brought that judgment of a worldwide flood upon them. And Paul's describing what those folks were like here in Romans chapter one, verse 25. And he says, they traded the truth about God for a lie. And so they worshiped and they served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise, amen. He's worthy of eternal praise. I think it'd be fitting for us to go ahead and say amen there. Amen. He's worthy of eternal praise, amen. And the Bible says in verse 26, that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty penalty that they deserved. I want you to see what he's getting to the heart of here. It, It goes beyond just the sexual expression. It goes beyond just the same sex sexual expression. It gets to the real heart of this sin. And what is it? It's worship. It's worshiping created things rather than the creator. And if you've never thought of sex sin as as worship or idolatry, you haven't really thought about it much. Think about it for just a minute with me here today, together. Think about all of the men that were at strip clubs just this past weekend. And they're sitting there engaged in all sorts of revelry, throwing money, catcalling, women on a stage, dancing naked. If you can't see that that's idolatry, I I just don't think you understand what idolatry is. They're worshiping 
those women and their bodies there on stage. Think about pornography. Think about all the people that were up until the wee hours of the morning this morning before a computer screen, hour after hour, page after page, looking at all these diverse, perverse forms of nudity and sexual expression and just gazing upon it, gazing upon it, hour after hour. You're gonna tell me that's not idolatry? You can't, tell me, you can't tell me that's not idol worship. That's exactly what it is. And that's why God wants us to understand the nature of our sin so that we can turn against it and worship him and him alone because he alone is truly worthy of our worship. Let me point out one other thing from Romans chapter one, and that is that Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that sex between women, woman to woman, sex between men, man to man, is something that is not natural. Paul points out that they left their natural impulse, men to be with a woman, women to be with a man, they left their natural impulse to burn with lust towards one another. Now here's what I want you to see about that that's so important. There are only two forces in the world today good and evil. There are only two forces in the world today, God and Satan. And so when God says they left what was natural, he's not just saying they acted unnaturally. What he's pointing out is that they were motivated by supernatural forces. Anytime perverse forms of sexual expression are going on, you can bet demons are behind all of that. Satan is behind all of that. He wants us to act on that sex drive in a way that pleases God. Why? Because he knows the minute he convinces us to do that, we're engaging in that false worship, that idolatry that God condemns. Some folks will push back on this message and they'll wanna say, well, hey, Jeff, you shouldn't be addressing the whole homosexual issue because after all, hey, Those folks are just doing what comes natural to them because they were born that way. Lady Gaga certainly wants you to believe that they were born that way. She's got a song that says as much. I want to say two things about that. First thing that I want to say is there's not a shred of scientific evidence that supports that theory. Not not, Not any. In fact, all the studies demonstrate that there is no gay gene. You are not born that way. It is a learned behavior. That's just the reality. That's the facts of science today. But let's just say it were true that someone was born that way, that they discovered a gay gene. Let's just say it were true. Can I just stop to say, you were born a lot of ways that God doesn't want you acting on. You were born a liar. You were born with the emotion of anger that you are not to act on inappropriately. You were wired to get angry over things, but the Bible said be angry and sin not. You can't act on that anger in an inappropriate way. And when we act on a very natural desire for sex in a way that's inappropriate, we sin against our own bodies and we sin against God. And it's so important for us to understand and realize that. One other thing that I'll add, one other caveat Uh, Hey, here's what Jesus said about all of it. John 3, verse 7, he said, don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. However you were born, with whatever propensity for sin you were born with, he said, you must be born again. Let's get born again. Let's receive that new nature from God, a nature that wants to please God and serve God and not ourselves, not our flesh. 
Uh, I see in this argument that Paul makes by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that really satanically inspired sexual expression stems from confusion. People that genuinely believe they were born as a homosexual or bisexual, they're just succumbing to the confusion that our enemy brings into all of our lives in one way or another. Satan wants you to live confused about who you are and why you're here and what life is all about. 1 Corinthians 14.33 declares that God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Can we say thank God for that? God is not a, 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 an author of confusion. Well, if God doesn't author confusion, who does? Satan. Only two forces in the world. And so Satan confuses people to believe that there's something that they're not. He confuses them to find their identity in a form of sexual expression. And I hope you can see just how bad you're being cheated by the kingdom of darkness when you're going to find your identity in some perverse form of sexual expression. Listen, our identity is to be in Christ and in Christ alone. It's him that we're gonna find our real true identity in and nothing less than him is always going to leave us empty, disappointed, unfulfilled. God is not a God of confusion, but Satan is. And I want you to see how that confusion is escalated. So I've got some years on me and I can remember a time when there was no social acceptance even to uh, bisexuality or homosexuality. But all of a sudden, it began to be normalized through the entertainment industry, uh, through people with perverse motives. It began to be normalized. And now here we are, 2022, and the confusion has set in to the degree we don't even know what gender we are that we can't even acknowledge that our biology demonstrates very clearly what gender that we are, that, that there should be some opportunity for the emperor to declare, I've got a new set of clothes and walk around naked and nobody even challenges it. Come on, folks. That's how much confusion has, has steeped into our culture, and it breaks the heart of God. You just need to understand and realize, think about that with me for just a moment. When you were born, the doctor held you up, and he declared, it's a boy, or it's a girl, or it's a girl. How did he declare that? He saw your anatomy. He saw your genitals, and he knew right away what your gender was. There shouldn't be any confusion to that, but it is, why? Because Satan's a liar, because he's a thief that wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So let me wrap this up today by talking to us about how to get over the rainbow. Because I know all of us are dealing with this in one way or another. If you're not dealing with the struggle yourself, you love someone who is dealing with the struggle themselves. So how do we get over the rainbow? How do we uh, get over the hijacked rainbow? What I'm really asking is, how do we avoid sexual idolatry? Let's talk about that for just a minute. Number one, the first thing you do is run from it. You run from it. Come on, I'm gonna tell you like Jenny told Forrest, run. 
Run from sexual sin. I want you to hear what the Bible says about sexual sin. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18 says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality, watch this, is a sin against your own body. Listen, there are all different forms of sin. And listen, all of us have engaged in one form of sin or another. Come on, none of us are, are perfect. None of us never sin, right? But what you need to see very clearly demonstrated in scripture here is that sex sin affects us like no other sin. God says no other sin affects us like sex sin affects us. And so we've got to run from it. We've got to be aware. We've got to be alert. And we've got to run from the trap Satan wants to set for us, homosexually, heterosexually. He wants to set traps for us. And we're to run from sin. What does that look like? It looks like you having boundaries. If you're a single adult and you're dating, you need to put some boundaries in place where you and that person that you're seeing aren't gonna fall into a perverse form of sexual expression. Fornication is a perverse form of sexual expression that the enemy's trying to set you up for so that you're gonna come into judgment. Set that boundary in place so that you don't allow it. If you're living together right now in sin, and I know our culture thinks nothing of that anymore, but if you're living in sin outside of holy matrimony, I wanna say to you, run from that sin. The best thing you could do is run to this church this week. I won't charge you a dime. Get yourself a marriage license. Get a couple of witnesses. We'll perform the wedding right here. And listen, I will charge you a dime and you can get this thing right before God. You can get this right before God. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm getting uh, too animated and, and, and you're responding in kind. And I, listen, I appreciate the support, but I don't, listen, I'm not trying to make anybody uncomfortable. I'm trying to love you enough to share truth with you. We need to put boundaries as it relates to the internet. If you use a computer, if you've got a smart device, listen, you need to put some boundaries in place. There needs to be some type of software that restricts what kind of websites you're able to visit, or even more importantly, maybe that reports on what type of websites you are visiting, and that report is going weekly to someone you're accountable to, maybe your, your spouse, or maybe a close friend, or a pastor, so that we're putting boundaries in place to protect ourselves against pornography and how it's preying upon human sexuality today. Or if you're married, maybe you need to put boundaries in place that assure that you're not going to engage in extramarital affairs. You don't have any business being with a member of the opposite sex alone. Put some boundaries in place. Safeguard your marriage. These are the things you gotta do if you're gonna run from sex sin, like the Bible says that you should. Number two, how do we get over the hijacked rainbow? How do we avoid sexual immorality? Number two, be faithful in marriage. Be faithful in marriage. Be faithful to the marriage bed. If you're married, be faithful to the marriage bed. What are you saying, Jeff? I'm saying, don't be faithful not to have sex. Don't just be faithful not to have sex with other people. Be faithful to have sex as a couple. It's so amazing to me how hard Satan tries to work to get us in bed before we're married and then how equally hard he works to keep us out of bed once we are married. Why? He's a thief. He's a liar. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Jeff, you're telling me there's a Bible verse for that? Yep. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 2 
because there's so much sexual immorality in the world, because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. I don't have to explain to you what have means, do I? You know what have means? It means, let's get it on. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're in a marriage union, get busy. Enjoy the gift of sexuality that God has given you in your covenant marriage relationship. Be faithful in marriage. Number three, how do we get over the hijacked rainbow? Run from it. Be faithful in marriage if you are married. Number three, get intentional about self-control. Do you remember self-control? Remember back in the day when people used to actually practice self-control? You acknowledge with me today, we are out of control today. People are acting in ways, I'm just telling you, we never thought we would see. But as a follower of Jesus, you need to know God has given us a Holy Spirit that will help us control the flesh and the urges of the flesh and live a life where we're in control, where we're not being controlled by our body and our bodily impulses, but we're in control. It's the thing that separates you and the neighborhood dog. I'm sorry, but it's just reality. You expect Fido to go around the neighborhood doing what he does. But you ain't Fido. You were created in the image of God. You have God's Holy Spirit living in you. And Galatians 5 said one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. We've got to get intentional about self-control. 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 4 and 5 says God's will is for you to be holy. Did you hear that? God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. In other words, you can't be holy if you're not staying away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. So let's get intentional about living with self-control as part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit and his interaction within our lives. All right, I got one thing left to say. And listen, I want you to lean in with me on this one. Up until this point, you may feel like, oh, this message really isn't for me. Well, I've got a message for you. It's the last point I want to make. Somewhere over the rainbow, we discover Christ followers have a job to do. And I don't think we're doing our job. I don't think we're doing it justice. I believe with all my heart that one of the reasons so few homosexuals actually find deliverance is because of rude, hateful, mean Christians. Shame on us. Listen, we need to speak the truth, but we need to speak the truth in love. And today, if you consider everything that I've said as just being mean and hateful, you don't know my heart. You don't know how I've wept before God all week long, asking God to help me to share this message in a way that you can really grasp with your heart. You don't know how many people I called on this week, and I never do this, how many people I called on and said, please be praying for me as I deliver this message Sunday because I want people to hear my heart. I want people to know 
We love you. Listen, we have our struggles too. We all are fellow strugglers and we want to be there for you. We want to walk through this with you. We want to help you. We want to help you to find the victory that God has given every one of us, no matter what our struggle is, in Christ Jesus. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11. The Bible says, don't you know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkard, nor the slanderer, nor the swindler will inherit the kingdom of God. Let me just stop and help you recognize this is the New Testament. If someone's made the argument that the biblical posture against homosexuality is just an Old Testament thing, like eating shrimp and eat, eating pork, then you don't understand. I'm reading from the New Testament right now. And the New Testament reality is the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. I love verse 11. Let me read it again. And that's what some of you were. That's what some of you were. Today, the issue isn't what you think you are. The issue is what God can make us. Listen, some of us were. All of the things that I've been talking about today and, and even worse things. Uh, some of us were all of those things. But by the grace of God, we've been born again and we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. All things are passed away and all things have become new. Can somebody say thank God? This is what some of you were. Paul says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Listen to Jude, verse 22 and 23, where the apostle pleads with us as followers of Jesus. And he says, be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. What's he saying? He's saying, yes, hate the sin, but love the sinner. Be kind to the sinner. Be compassionate to the one with the struggle. Romans chapter two, verse four, one last verse. Romans two, verse four. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? We're never going to lead people out of that darkness by being mean and hateful, but kindness and love and compassion has led many people out of darkness, including me. Come on, y'all. And it can lead anyone out of darkness. And that's what God's calling on us as the body of Christ to do. I'm going to let you show your age with me today. How many of you remember the 1960s hit television series called Candid Camera? Raise your hand. Okay. Let me tell you real quickly what it was. It, it, it starred a guy named Alan uh, Funt. Alan Funt was the star of the show. And Alan would set up these situations. People would find themselves in not knowing that the camera was rolling, filming everything that they did in response to whatever uncomfortable situation they were in until Alan Funt would let them know, smile, you're on candid camera, and everybody got a good laugh, right? That's what, it, that's what the show was all about, and, uh, and it was wildly popular in the 1960s. In 1969, Alan Funt got on a plane from Newark, New Jersey to Miami, Halfway through that flight, hijackers took over the plane 
and demanded that they be taken to Cuba. Now, that was a pretty regularly occurring thing back then. Airport security was almost non-existent back then, and it was a pretty regular thing. And so when, when this happened and the hijackers, you know, stood up and made their demands, everybody on the plane was so afraid, so terrified, so distraught until somebody remembered Alan Funt's on the plane. We're on candid camera. And all of a sudden, there's a buzz over the whole plane. And people start pointing at Alan and laughing. And, and, and the story says that there was even a point where one of the hijackers took a stewardess and put a 10-inch knife to her throat. And the crowd applauded. They thought, what great actors. They applauded. Everybody just thought it was just this big practical joke until they landed in Cuba. It wasn't a joke at all. I'm telling you that story today because I think we're on a hijacked plane and we don't even know it. We're laughing and applauding and going along with it all because we don't even know that the plane's been hijacked and what we don't realize is the destination of this plane we're on is a place of judgment before a holy God. And we've got to get over the rainbow. Hey everyone, this is Pastor Jeff Abels and I just wanted to take a minute to thank you for joining us on our podcast today. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been dealing with your heart as you've listened to this message and you feel like you just need to get right with God. If you have no real assurance that you are right with God, If you cannot honestly say you've been living for God and you know that needs to change, I want to invite you to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior right now. You know, the Bible tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means God loves you and God's ready to save you. He's just waiting on you to call on Him. Why don't you call on Him right now by praying a very simple prayer with me. I want you to repeat the words of this prayer after me. Let those words come right from your heart. Let's pray. Dear God, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I know my sin separates me from God. And I don't want that. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me. I believe he rose again through faith in Jesus. I believe my life can change. So I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive all my sin and change my life. Be Lord of my life from this day forward. I don't live for me anymore or this world. God. I want to live for you. Help me to do that. And I thank you right now, even as I pray. According to your promise, my sin is all forgiven. I'm now right with God. I am saved. Thank you, God, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you just prayed that prayer with me, we would really love to know about it. We'd love to give you some next steps to get you started on your brand new journey of faith. What I'd love for you to do is just text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, 
to 337-222-3210. And someone will connect with you to provide you with some resources that I think will help you greatly. Again, just text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 337-222-3210. Thanks again for joining us on the podcast today. And God richly bless you is our prayer for you.